Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Democrats may hold Connecticut's governor's office and have the majority in Connecticut's General Assembly, but Republicans also have ideas on how to run state government. Today, where we live, we talk with Republican State Senator Kevin Kelly. He's been a state legislator since 2011 and represents the towns of Monroe, Seymour, Shelton, and Stratford. He's the new Senate Republican leader, succeeding Len Fasano, who retired from the General Assembly last year. What questions do you have for Senator Kelly? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we'll hear from Associated Press reporter Susan Haig, who's a longtime state capitol reporter. That conversation later. But first, I want to welcome to the show on Zoom today, State Senator Kevin Kelly. Senator Kelly, welcome to the show. Senator Kelly, can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Lucy. It's great to be here. Thank, thank you, you. And thank you. We love Zoom. <laughs> we yes, appreciate we your do. flexibility uh, this morning. So when we had scheduled you to come on the show, I was gearing up just to talk about the governor's two-year uh, state budget. But I, we have to start talking about um, the Marathon Public Health Committee hearing that I believe just wrapped up just moments ago. Again, this was an online public hearing on bills that would end the religious exemption to school vaccine requirements. And this is an exemption that has been used by some parents uh, who think that vaccines are dangerous and say it's their religious right to deny the vaccines uh, to their children. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your reaction to this hearing. And does the length of this hearing say something about the nature of this debate? It's not the first time it's been before legislators. Well, this is a big issue on and the process is as important as it is, as is the issue. Uh, The process is part of this virtual reality uh, that the majority seeks to to do to handle legislative business uh, this session. And while we agree that it's important to get the people's voice back in the building uh, because we, you know, for the past, uh, I guess, 11 months now, Uh, the governor, one person has been in charge and our government's not built that way. It's built to have all voices at the table. So it was good that we opened the General Assembly on January 6th and that we got the people's voice back into the process. The problem that I see is that by doing this virtually, uh, we know, and the governor started to address this with his uh, broadband initiative in his budget, we know that 23% of Connecticut uh, is without uh, connectivity to the internet. And most of those are people who are poor and people who live in our cities. And that, I'm gonna say, disenfranchises a substantial part of Connecticut. 
And so we really should be focused on issues that are germane to handling the pandemic, which I think is the single biggest issue that all families in Connecticut face. But when you see initiatives like they're dealing with in this public hearing, where they've had almost 2,000 people line up to speak, and the majority, the chairman of the committee, shuts the debate down after only a couple hundred people speak, that's chilling because you've left off 1,800 voices. And then there's another petition of, I think, like 15,000 people uh, who want to be involved in the conversation. And when we don't have all voices at the table, I think it doesn't make for good policy. Mm. And that's the problem mm -hmm. here is that it appears that the majority has made up its mind. It really doesn't want to hear the people and move forward with what they believe in. And the the thing that's most, you know, I'm going to say discouraging to me is that it's happening in, in Hartford and in that city, the city where the government of the people, by the people and for the people was born. Constitutional well, this... government is Connecticut's heritage. It's our tradition. And well, this is an issue that, that this is an issue that's come up before, Senator Kelly, though. This is an issue that's come several. This is an issue that's come up several times. People have come out to the Capitol and have uh, testified, but people can also submit written testimony. And so you really believe because this hearing was only allowed for 24 hours that that people aren't able to get their voices heard, that legislators aren't able to understand both sides of the issue? Well, I think there's well, first of all, uh, it's the people's government. It's not our government. And so the people have the right to their voice in government. And not everyone wants to participate either verbally or in writing. Some people don't want their names to be associated. They want to be counted. And this is where I think whenever you go to many uh, hearings in Hartford and you see issues, people will actually wear a colored T-shirt to support, you know, if it's AARP, it's red. If it's 1199, it's purple. Uh, and it's a way for people to congregate and have a community voice that is not only visible, it's palpable. And where is that voice in a virtual world? It doesn't exist. And I think we lose something in the process when we, uh, I'm going to say, suppress that speech. And so this, again, has to be voted out of this particular committee before uh, these bills or before the full legislature. Do you see that uh, being um, an expected reality with the Democratic majority in the legislature, Senator Kelly? Well, usually the committee is where we do the work. Uh, that's where you get all the uh, the voices. I mean, many of you know, uh, describe the legislative process as a sausage factory. Well, this is where the sausage is made in the committee. It's where the you put an issue out and then you draw all conversation from every viewpoint and try to get as much uh, input as possible in viewpoint. Uh, and it's going through that crucible of differing opinions that we end up with better policy. And I think that's why if there's this many voices that want to be heard, we need to hear it before it comes out of committee. And then once it gets to the committee, we'll have a conversation amongst legislators. Uh, I mean, it doesn't end at the committee, but uh, certainly that is where most of the work is done.
Has this become a partisan issue, this bill to get rid of religious exemptions for school vaccine requirements? And where do you stand on this particular bill? Uh, well, we've had it a few times uh, in when I was on Children's. Uh, this bill had come up a few times in committee for different reasons. At that point, they were trying to, uh, the proponents of the bill were trying to do away with school nurses taking an acknowledgement and require anyone seeking a religious exemption to be forced to disclose their medical uh, history and records to a non-compliant HIPAA, non HIPAA official. And so uh, that was patently unfair. And once again, this issue is really centered on, you know, our religious freedoms, uh, whatever they are, our government must be one of tolerance. Uh, and we must stay focused and, and adhere to that tradition, uh, as well as patient-centered care. Uh, and I think that's one thing here is that, you know, this is a departure in a sense from the, the uh, traditional the, the Democrat position of my body, my choice, uh, but not here. Uh, they're not focused on the patient-centered choices. Uh, and then just the whole uh, perspective that they're not listening to the people's voice. And it, it, it's apparent that they would prefer your vote, but not your voice. And when you look at that, I think this is problematic for this bill. Uh, it's very controversial at this time to do it in this manner. Uh, but right now, uh, the way I see the bill, I would be against uh, the bill. Mm. You mentioned religious freedoms. Is that what this is about when, when people say that it's their religious freedom to deny these uh, vaccines for their children? When we look at the, the data that's been collected, uh, the number of, of Connecticut schools where less than 95 percent of kindergarten students from 2017 through 2019 were vaccinated against measles and mumps and rubella. That's increased by 31 percent. Um, the ones that were not uh, vaccinated because of religious exemptions? Is it more about personal choice and parental choice than religious freedoms, Senator Kelly? Well, I mean, I think what we need to do is to allow individuals uh, here in America. Once again, these are uh, very strong, time-honored tradition that we need to be tolerant of everyone's uh, religious choices. Uh, included in that are folks with no religion. I mean, there is that aspect of this, too. Uh, but what we need to focus on is to enable individuals with religion uh, to exercise that religious belief freely. Now, uh, a lot of what goes on here is compliance issues. Maybe there are children that are not vaccinated. And so we need to focus on that and maybe make sure that individuals who have fallen behind on vaccines or vaccinations need to do so. Uh, and there needs to be a more, uh, I'm going to say, reasoned and common sense approach to this. And then look at the, the science and, and the, the metrics. I mean, are there, what is the number of, of actual individuals as a percentage uh, of uh, students that are uh, not, not vaccinated? And what does that threat mean? I guess those are the issues that we need to focus on. 
I think that's part of the bill, um, compelling the Department of Public Health uh, to have that data, more consistent data uh, each year. But the fact that we're in a pandemic, Senator Kelly, uh, when we think about, uh, again, we look through history when polio um, caused a lot of fear in people and Americans lined up to get that vaccine. Back then, they didn't have social media to uh, help uh, spread a lot of this misinformation about vaccine science. And so do you worry about the message that this sends when we have seen measles outbreaks in New York State just a couple years ago. Right, but I, I, I'm not disputing that those exist, but to narrowly focus it on school children as the culprits of all measles outbreaks. And, you know, when we hear testimony last night, I heard a lot of uh, people uh, testifying that some individuals uh, had this, you know, they, they caught the, these viruses in hospitals. Uh, so there's, it's not just limited to school-aged children. Uh, there are other members of the population that, that also have this issue. And uh, so, it, once again, it's, it's an issue that I think uh, needs to be looked at, but we need to, once again, be mindful of how strong, I mean, it is the First Amendment of all constitutional amendments is the right uh, to religious freedom as well as to to petition your government and both these issues uh, the way it's being handled by the majority uh, is to cut off debate uh, and uh, it, it abridges a, a religious freedom you're hearing State Senator Kevin Kelly here on Where We Live. He's the Republican Minority Leader from the 21st Senatorial District. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. I want to move on because I know health care is something that um, you are deeply involved in. Uh, when we think about uh, this upcoming budget and ways to make health care more affordable, especially in this pandemic, I'm looking at a proposal in Governor Lamont's a two-year uh, budget plan that includes a new fee or tax on health insurance companies that could bring in about $50 million with the money intended to be used as subsidies to help more people afford health insurance on the health exchange. And we know that tens of thousands of Connecticut residents have either lost their jobs or had to take pay cuts in the pandemic. What do you think about this particular proposal? Well, uh, the, the, well, let's back up. I think we all agree and, and recognize that Connecticut middle-class families uh, did not get the promise that was made to them eight years ago by the Democrat majority of affordable health care. Uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, promise was that health care would become affordable, accessible, and of high quality. And that promise has never been delivered. Now, one of the big reasons is that the federal uh, funding of it dried up. So we have a bill uh, that is uh, to impose or to create a state reinsurance program that would provide that level of funding. Uh, we do it, however, just out of a general fund appropriation rather than um, what the governor and the majority are looking to do, which is to add a tax. Uh, and what our plan does is it provides the same premium relief of up to 20% as the public option. But where we differ is that we actually go to the, the actual cost drivers, which are medical costs. And we tear a page out of Governor Charlie Baker in Massachusetts's book uh, by using benchmarking. 
And in the Commonwealth, he has been able to reduce the rate of growth from 10 to 12 percent down to three and a half percent, saving billions of dollars for the state of Massachusetts. And we make sure that all of the Affordable Care Act protections are embedded in the reinsurance program, and we keep the good paying Connecticut insurance jobs. What the public option does is we'll actually have the state of Connecticut going to direct competition. And that direct competition is going to kill Connecticut jobs. So uh, it doesn't get its arms around the, the cost driver. It kills Connecticut jobs and uh, it's backed by the taxpayer. And so that's problematic. This whole concept that's in the governor's budget of the, the, the tax on uh, health insurance premiums, we're trying to lower premiums. Uh, tax on premiums just increases their costs. And there's the, the $50 million that you referenced that, that looks at premium relief, but there's also a component there that talks about, I'm going to use it loosely because they it's not really Medicaid rules, but they, they use that language in the bill, another $25 million. So that's a $75 million tax increase on health insurance when health insurance is already breaking the middle class families back. And we mm -hmm. think that that's not the smart policy choice we think our way uh, leveraging federal money using a reinsurance program is the better option and quite frankly the uh the exchange has uh, commissioned a report done by the wakely group and that came back and said that our reinsurance program is the most effective way to leverage federal money and bring relief to connecticut families so, so we have a better way mm. So you don't support the public option, but the reinsurance proposal is something that you want uh, the legislature and the governor to take a look at. Again, it would set aside funds from the state budget so that insurance companies could tap if claims in a certain year exceeded a certain amount. Senator Kelly? Yes. And, you know, the governor uh, is interested, in, and I will say uh, we did before the pandemic uh, came, uh, he did issue an executive order to start the uh, benchmarking. Uh, it, it took, pulled that concept out of our bill and has also indicated that he would support the public, the uh, reinsurance program that we're proposing over the public option. Uh, so there is hope on this because I do believe that this will bring the most uh, benefit to middle class families and help them uh, pay their, their health care costs. Uh, last question before we take a break, Senator Kelly. So how would you ensure through reinsurance that these savings would then be passed on to customers? Well, you would. The, what happens is that the reinsurance is uh, there to uh, make sure that premium relief is provided to the families, that, you know, the people who are purchasing insurance. That's number one. The second is this benchmarking. If we can drive the cost of uh, health care down, not only is it going to reduce the cost that insurance companies are paying for, for these services, but it's also going to affect the state budget because the state budget has the state current state employees, the state employee pension fund, as well as the Medicaid program. So if we could save, you know, five, six, seven percent across those line items, and then reinvest those those funds back into health care and reinsurance, we could continue to drive the cost of premiums down. And that's why we think this is the smarter way to go, because it actually has that cost uh, 
the, the, the saver uh, part of it that's going to drive the actual cost of healthcare down. And by reinvesting that money, uh, it's going to bring more relief to Connecticut families. Mm-hmm. You're hearing Senator Kevin Kelly. He's a Senate Republican minority leader in the Connecticut General Assembly here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break. where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With us today is Senator Kevin Kelly. He's the Republican state minority leader in our Connecticut General Assembly. You can join our conversation as we talk to him about uh, the Connecticut budget. Uh, Again, Governor Ned Lamont releasing his two-year plan just the other week, as well as other issues in our state, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, We know that uh, vaccinations for COVID uh, continue in our state. Uh, Senator Kelly, uh, now uh, uh, people 65 and older can get it. We saw the governor getting his shot just the other day. But there has also been reports about uh, how there are widespread disparities in the vaccinations of our residents in our state, including uh, the Connecticut Mirror finding that white residents over the age of 75 are more than twice as likely to have been vaccinated than black people in the same age group and white seniors more likely than Hispanic seniors to have been vaccinated. Are you concerned about these disparities in our state related to the COVID-19 vaccine? And and what could be a role for the General Assembly to respond to this, if at all? Uh, Yes, uh, Lucy, I'm very very concerned about that, not only here with regards to COVID-19, but in fact, uh, health disparities overall. Uh, last session, uh, last spring, even before uh, COVID hit, we put in a bill to, to study this. Uh, and I was disappointed that uh, the majority during special session uh, in both July and September didn't bring up this issue so that we could start the process, which is to start to collect the data, to start to do the research, the due diligence, uh, to find out what is at the heart of this issue. Uh, because nobody should have or, or be without health care. And everybody is entitled to the same accessible and quality health care. Uh, and so the legislature definitely has a role here. The legislature needs to study this and in my mind, in July, when we had special session, there's no time like the present. Uh, we could have started it in July. We could have started collecting the data, looking at what is going on and making sure uh, that these disparities are addressed and alleviated. And so moving forward, uh, now that there is a regular session, uh, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, you know, how lawmakers, policymakers should continue to respond to this pandemic to make sure that people who choose to be vaccinated against COVID-19 are able to get that, those doses. Well, exactly. I mean, first of all, that this whole health equity is also part of our reinsurance bill. Uh, we did bring it into that as our health care bill. Uh, but looking at just how the, this rollout has occurred, I mean, there are, uh, you know, I'm going to say husbands and wives that uh, 
or spouses that want to uh, have uh, get the, the COVID vaccine and can't do uh, an appointment at the same time because of the way the system was set up. Uh, and these are the conversations that I think we should be having more of uh, and having the governor's ear to be able to bring these experiences to the table and see what we can do to rectify them so that people uh, can handle this pandemic. And I mean, the COVID vaccine is one, mental health is another, social isolation. There's a whole host of, of uh, issues that actually have very poor health outcomes and they just aren't being addressed, quite frankly, because I don't think there's enough voices at the table. And so that would be uh, in reference to Governor Lamont extending his COVID-19 emergency authority through April 20th, Senator Kelly? Well, it's it's not only there, but it's also born on the, you know, coming off the experience we all saw what happened on or in skilled nursing facilities where, you know, when the Mathematica report came out, 74%, this was in, you know, I'm going to say September, up until that point, 74% of all COVID-related deaths occurred. So when the General Assembly uh, put together a task force to start to study the impact of COVID on nursing homes, they included basically every stakeholder except the seniors, people and patients who were affected by COVID. And so the aging committee of which I'm ranking member uh, was prohibited from participating uh, in that uh, task force. And I think that's the, the, the voice that needs to be heard. And once again, getting back to what we talked about earlier, uh, there seems to be a departure by the majority from patient-centered care, that there should be a patient-centered focus. And here, when we look at how COVID is affecting all of us, we really should be looking at it from the eyes and ears of the people who are affected. And that could be directly folks in nursing homes. It could be people suffering from social isolation in, in their own homes and the men, mental health consequences. Or it could be as simple as, you know, spouses want to go to a uh, get, get vaccine, get the vaccine, and, and why can't they make an appointment together? And, and that voice needs to, to resonate more under that dome. And unfortunately, it hasn't been. Again, uh, this emergency powers through Governor Lamont uh, through April 20th. Uh, we just heard from the governor the other day. Again, uh, the, the numbers are looking better. Um, the restrictions on caterers and restaurants to, and to hold uh, bigger indoor and outdoor events have been lifted and the numbers have grown for the number of people can, that can attend those events. So do you think that uh, we're going to be out of this by April 20th, Senator Kelly? Well, I, I, I'm not sure we're going to be totally out of this by April 20th. Uh, clearly, you know, the, the metrics are looking encouraging. Uh, and I'd like to make sure that we continue on that, that path. Uh, but we also need to be mindful and, and guided by the science and technology here that there are variants uh, that might be more infectious. And so we need to have a balanced approach. But even with that balanced approach, uh, you know, our government is not wired for just one person to be in charge. And I believe there are ways to manage this pandemic where we would have more of a collaborative approach and get the people's voice at the table along with the government's voice. I think that's the way uh, our government is structured with three separate 
equal branches of government. And right now we've only had one uh, branch really operating at full tilt. You've got the judiciary, which is also open, but as far as managing the pandemic, the people's voice has not been as robust as it needs to be at the table. You're hearing State Senator Kevin Kelly here on Where We Live. He's the Senate Republican Minority Leader from the 21st District. You can join us if you have a question for him, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, Again, you were elected back in 2011 to the Connecticut General Assembly. Do you feel that uh, Republicans in the state um, will have a better working relationship with Governor Lamont this session in terms of being invited uh, into these conversations, Senator Kelly? Well, I always think that good ideas, you know, find friends. Uh, It's why I think, you know, and we've been pushing more than, you know, it's not just this session. I've been pushing reinsurance for a number of of years, even before Governor Lamont, uh, because it's a good idea. I think it's an idea that that resonates because it brings relief to middle class families. Uh, It reduces health care costs and saves jobs. You know, we're dead last in the nation. Uh, in job growth and personal income growth. And I think it has a lot to do with the policies that the majority has has passed over the few, you know, the past decade that have actually, you know, negatively impacted Connecticut families. And so I look forward to, to raising good ideas. I think they do attract friends. I think in the area of healthcare, we can, we can find a, a way through this. And I think we're proposing ideas that are the better way because they not only bring relief to the middle-class family, uh, but they keep jobs and I think they make Connecticut more affordable. That's the one thing I hear from you know, families and, and voters is that Connecticut's just too expensive, it's, it's unaffordable. Well, when you're adding $75 million onto healthcare premiums, it's not going to get cheaper. And so if you listen to the people and, and, and bring their ideas to the table, I think they'll resonate. And and that's why I'm very hopeful, not only for this session, uh, but for our party moving forward. You're one of the highest uh, ranking state Republicans in our state now. And we got a a message on Facebook. uh, Someone writes, I'm curious what plans the Connecticut GOP has to encourage former Republicans like myself to rejoin the party, especially after the last four years. And how do you respond to that? And we've seen uh, headlines, uh, not only in our state, but around the country of more Republicans leaving the party. Senator Kelly. Yes. Well, I think, you know, first is that, you know, Connecticut Republicans have always been different uh, from uh, national Republicans. And I think if you focus on what Connecticut Republicans have been doing, you know, for like the initiative on reinsurance is, is a good example. We we had another uh, proposal to invest in transportation without tolls and, and taxes. And so uh, what we look at is bringing relief to middle-class families who find Connecticut unaffordable. And to look at what they need from their government, like reduced and, and affordable quality and accessible health care, and ability to get to and from work without adding extra financial burdens, whether it's a gas tax or a toll. So what we're doing is coming up with very creative solutions to solve Connecticut uh, families' problems but not doing it that either kill jobs or make Connecticut more unaffordable. And I think if, 
if people, not only uh, Republicans and Republicans who are thinking about leaving the party, but also on affiliates. And what I'm going to say is my, my mom's Democrats. Uh, if they start to see what Connecticut Republicans are doing and we focus on Connecticut issues, I think they'll see that we're, we're listening uh, to the middle class and that we're proposing ideas to get results for those families. Mm. You mentioned a gas tax. So I assume you're referring to the TCI, this Transportation Climate Initiative, the Cap and Invest program, looking to lower greenhouse gas emissions, but also using uh, money uh, from, uh, again, uh, the payment to pol- large suppliers of, of transportation fuels, uh, what they're paying uh, to at a wholesale level included in the price of fuel being passed on to consumers. But what about the investments in public transportation, a more robust system around our state to help all residents, including the middle class? Isn't that a, a, one of the benefits that could help uh, our residents in our state? Well, it is a, a benefit that would help uh, residents in our state. And our, our program, FASTER, F-A-S-T-R-C-T, that we proposed uh, would make those investments, uh, not only in roads and bridges, but in, you know, I'm going to say our rails and public transportation. Uh, the thing about this this TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, is a 17 cent gas tax uh, that's paid to a regional authority. And it's really aimed at not only these, these measures of public transportation, which are important, but they're being done here in the context of trying to reduce our, our greenhouse uh, emissions. And the issue becomes that Connecticut can do that. In, in other initiatives, we can do it with both, you know, alleviating congestion on 95, 91, um, as well as, uh, you know, just other open space initiatives. The interesting thing here, Lucy, though, is that, you know, one of the reasons for the TCI is clean air. Uh, and most weather patterns run east-west. So our air comes from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, and not from north-south, which is what this TCI regional approach does. So what our contribution and sacrifice will benefit, you know, Rhode Island and the Atlantic Ocean. And while that's very worthy, uh, unless we get some help from the federal government to get New York, New Jersey, and these states to our west to do likewise, we're not going to enjoy the benefits of, from an environmental and a clean air perspective. So, you know, we're, we're looking to our Washington delegation to work with Washington and to see what can be done to make sure that that aspect of the TCI uh, occurs so that our mm-hmm. Connecticut residents can get the clean air they deserve. Uh, Kathy tweeted uh, what she wants to hear from you about, uh, do you believe the governor's budget proposal meets the needs of people who rely on state-funded services? And also, do you agree with the governor's proposal to use asset tests for Medicare savings programs? Uh, No and no. Uh, I really, Medicare savings program, I'm really disturbed by this because uh, right now there is no asset test. But I believe what they want to do is put in an asset test. And once they put asset tests in, uh, the way the Department of Social Services operates is that they will use that as a way to, I'm going to say, put an impediment in front of people to get the, the benefits that they need. And, and I'm firmly subscribed that assistance delay, particularly when it comes to Medicaid and 
and human services that assistance delayed is assistance denied. And that that's just a mechanism to make it more difficult for people to qualify at a time when we need more people to get preventative health care. And that's what that Medicare savings program would do is give them the tools to prevent further, I'm going to say, poor health outcomes. So I, I think that's a poor policy choice and, and not not smart. As far as the, the budget itself, I, I think uh, we don't do enough uh, in human services. I don't think we we partner with our private nonprofits who can do more with less and more quality services at a time when we have the people in need, uh, more demand and less resources. We need to be creative and be able to deliver these human services. And so I think we, we the governor falls short on both issues. You can join our conversation again with State Senator Kevin Kelly. Jay's calling in from Trumbull. Jay, go ahead. Oh, hi. Good morning. How are you? Um, Doing well. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. I just um, I appreciate this opportunity to ask the senator as quickly as possible. All due respect, sir, I would just like your opinion if it has ever occurred to you that part of our problem with health care is uh, at root the for-profit incentive and uh, intellectual property rights, patent rights. Do you think this affects our, our issues in dealing with the distribution of the vaccines right now? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, obviously, one of the things is that the, the current system we have has enabled us to have significant and important uh, I'm going to say health ad advancements. Uh, it ended up having a, a COVID vaccine uh, a lot quicker than many people thought. Uh, and I think that's because of the, the cutting edge technology, the cutting edge aptitude, the knowledge and skill that we have in this area. Uh, you know, the, the profit isn't always a bad thing. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, we look at, many folks are looking at you know, I'm going to say just normal capitalism as being evil, but it, it is what has made America great. And there are certain areas where you have market failure. And when there is market failure, I think there's a role for government. But that doesn't mean that there's always market failure. And so uh, we need to be mindful of that and, and just keep that in, in, you know, focus as you move forward is that there are a lot of benefits uh, that capitalism brings, you know, good paying jobs, a healthy economy, uh, a standard of living that we all enjoy. But there is also times where uh, there are failures. And that's where when the market can't deal with that, government must. Well, I want to thank again uh, Senator Kevin Kelly. He's the state Senate Republican minority leader in the Connecticut General Assembly. We appreciate your time coming on the show today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up after the break, we're going to get some more context about the issues before lawmakers from longtime Connecticut Capitol reporter Susan Haig. She's with the Associated Press here in Connecticut. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
Support comes from The Narrative Project, Connecticut's only anti-racist and social justice public relations agency, helping organizations through socially responsible communications consulting and management, narrative-project.com. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up Thursday, broadband internet and phone service have become essential during the pandemic. Tomorrow, we talk with Federal Communication Commission Acting Chairwoman Jessica Rosen-Warsel. She's also a West Hartford native. We'll talk about the FCC's role in making sure Americans have access to connectivity during and after the pandemic. Now, has your family struggled to access or even afford high-speed broadband internet? You can join us in that conversation tomorrow. Now, you just heard State Senator Kevin Kelly here on Where We Live. He's the new Senate Republican minority leader in the Connecticut General Assembly. I wanted to welcome onto the show now Susan Haig. She's Associated Press State House and political reporter here in Connecticut. Hi, Sue. Hey, Lucy. How are you? I'm doing well. So we, we started off the conversation talking about this marathon public hearing uh, before the Public Health uh, Committee looking at this, uh, again, these bills to get rid of the religious exemptions for vaccines. Uh, do you see this this issue? Has it become partisan? And what did you think about Senator Kelly's uh, points about um, this hearing should not have been concluded in just uh, one day? Well, I wanted to... Uh, thanks for... Thanks, first of all, for having me. Um, he did say there were like a couple of hundred. Uh, they they got about 420 in or four, they're in the 420s as of like 845 this morning, which um, is far from the 1931 who signed up. So I'm sure there are a lot of disappointed people. Uh, this issue, it, it does tend to be more uh, partisan. There are some Democrats who are with these Republicans who oppose the uh, the legislation that would get rid of the um, religious exemption? Not all Republicans oppose getting rid of it, but it it is sort of a an issue that more of the conservative caucus has taken up. It's something that's been happening. This this bill has been up for the last several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's not actually proposed, it's just been discussed. And there seems to be more of a uh, push among the supporters, given the COVID outbreak and the um, the focus on having um, the importance of vaccination. So but again, it's hard to tell whether or not there will be enough support this year. It, It is such a contentious issue. It really is. Do you think that the pandemic has changed things for uh, lawmakers who have looked at this bill in the past sessions, as you've mentioned, Uh, you know, again, when we think about uh, the importance of vaccines, the COVID vaccine would not be part of this uh, school vaccine requirement list, but just wanted to clarify that. But, uh, you know, has the debate changed because of the pandemic, Sue? It kind of came up yesterday. the argument from a lot of the parents say that they would have to keep their kids out of school because they don't want to uh, have their kids vaccinated. And it's not, and some people, they're only upset with maybe one of the vaccines. Some actually have vaccinated their kids and are against this bill. But uh, yeah, they, they um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. I was just wondering if the pandemic has changed how lawmakers are thinking about this issue versus previous. Right. Sessions. I'm sorry. Yes, um, they were. So what came up was is that there's a lot of concern about kids having to uh, learn at home. And they said that the pandemic has really brought out those concerns. And 
uh, that's one of the reasons why they shouldn't pass this bill. And that's an argument that we haven't heard before. Mm. Uh, moving on, uh, Senator Kelly spent a lot of time talking about um, the reinsurance proposal. This is in response, uh, it was to my question related to taxing uh, uh, insurance companies, but rolled into that was also um, his opposition to the public option. So can you walk us through, again, this proposal for the public option and, the, uh, and then how reinsurance relates to that? Well, the Democrats have proposed this bill that um, small businesses with up to 50 employees and nonprofits and certain unions, they'd be allowed to buy into a variety of health care plans um, that would be offered by the state. So that's per se the, the public option. Uh, their bill is, is really wide ranging. I mean, it also includes uh, subsidies for individuals to help pay for their uh, insurance coverage. There would be an expansion of Husky eligibility, uh, the state's um, health insurance program for mostly kids. Uh, so that's that's their proposal. The um, the governor has it's interesting. He has not um, proposed a per se public option. Mm-hmm. He's in his budget. He has something called covered Connecticut, and that would provide premium insurance through an assessment on insurers. Uh, so there is. It, it's it's unclear again what's going to happen by the end of the session because some Democrats are uh, pushing more of a progressive uh, answer to this issue um, than the governor is, and then the whole reinsurance thing is something that Lamont has actually uh, spoken positively about, and that would be a way to sort of leverage federal money to try to help insurance companies offset. Uh, very high costs for certain uh, patients with very expensive uh, medical conditions. Uh, The governor has been very interested in trying to leverage as much federal money as possible, and that would be another way to try to tackle this problem in his mind. Hmm. I asked uh, Senator Kelly about uh, what kind of relationship he anticipates uh, the governor having with uh, the Republican, uh, the state Republicans, because the Democratic majority has gotten stronger. I'm just wondering if you can give us some context about uh, what you've seen in this past session with Governor Lamont and, and what may happen this this these next few months. Well, the past session is just so strange; it's hard to compare <laughs> to any other session. Uh, there, there has been complaints from Republicans and Democrats. I gotta add that the uh, governor has done too much alone. You know, he's gone it alone too much. Uh, there, there does seem to be um, more concern, though, among the Republican lawmakers, including Senator Kelly, um, regarding extending the uh, governor's executive authority. There's a thought that. It's really now time for the legislature to take over a lot of these issues. The governor has said that he has an open door policy. He says this quite a bit, and he does seem to be willing to, you know, talk to Republicans on some of these issues like reinsurance. There's areas there where potentially there could be, you know, some ways for them to work together. But um, again, he's still a Democrat. Democrats have a strong majority, and. Uh, that's who he tends to work with. Mm. Except for the issue of whether the wealthy Connecticut residents should pay more mm. in taxes. That's something that uh, Governor Lamont has drawn a line on. Right, right. 
Well, that that's interesting too. There there are more since I since you mentioned I've been at the Capitol a long time. Uh, there, these caucuses have sprung up and the progressive caucus has gotten stronger. And th that's an issue that they are really pushing hard on. And, and also the uh, Senate, um, you know, leadership is also interested in some of these issues too. Uh, and that's where you could see some friction down the road. But there is, um, you know, some concern among more progressive Democrats that the governor's budget didn't do enough to uh, address equity issues in the state, uh, didn't do enough to uh, help struggling nonprofits. Uh, they want to see more money spent. And then even the Republicans are complaining that there wasn't enough money spent to help struggling businesses. So he has uh, some bipartisan opposition that he has to uh, uh, get through in the coming months. You've been hearing Susan Haig again. She's Associated Press State House and political reporter here in Connecticut. She was one of the first people I met when I moved to Connecticut and started covering stories around the state. You've always been so gracious and you do a great job. We appreciate your context here today Aww. on the show. Thanks for your kind words. Nice to have you. <laughs> Today's In show was <laughs> thank you. Today's show was produced by Matt Dwyer. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff. And our technical producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We'll be back tomorrow.